And a lot of it is a function of my growth as an entrepreneur. You asked me about that lead gen business. When I started that business, I had no vision for employees. I didn't want any employees. If I could have had a server in the cloud kicking off cash, that would have been optimal. Now I have a team and it took me about a decade to transition from a very transactional relationship with my team where I pay them money and they do stuff to where I'm at now, where my goal is really exactly what the mission is to help people become and achieve more than they thought possible. And the, the trick is believing that that drives performance. Hey investors, you are listening to the Investing to Win podcast the show dedicated to empowering investors to achieve financial freedom and live your best life. This show is committed to offering honest conversation between investors, common sense strategies, real-time market updates, and professional guidance to achieving financial freedom. Investing doesn't have to be super hands-on or complicated. We are all about passive investments with real gain, so you have freedom of time and money. Your host is none other than Garrett Wong, who brings decades of experience in buying, renovating, and managing cash flow investment properties. Thanks for being here and get ready to invest to win. Welcome investors. This is Garrett Wong, your host of the Investing to Win podcast. Today, I have a guest from the South. He tells me it's 87 degrees. Jordan, how are you? I'm doing good, man. Glad to be here. Yeah, so um, let's uh, let's get into the background. Why don't you tell everybody about yourself and uh, how you became to be what you are today? Well, I've been working in residential property management for about 15 years. All of my career has been spent in the space, but not managing properties. I got my start working for a venture-backed HOA management company, then I got into lead gen. Now I'm selling workflow automation software and a bunch of other stuff along the way. Okay. Um, that is very, very surfacey, <laughs> but uh, I know that you're a serial entrepreneur. Um, why don't you tell us about the uh, the lead gen company that you have, and you know what is its size, operations, bodies, that type of thing? Yeah, so the lead gen thing was the very thing I started doing. Now it's fully passive now, so it you know has close to zero employees and just kind of runs in the background. I did that for a couple of years. What I realized was in that business we were connecting landlords with property managers. We were effectively selling leads to the property managers to help them connect with people that they could manage properties for. And folks just really struggled to follow up and to actually be responsive. You know, don't like saying that, but that's definitely was and still is the state of the industry is that a lot of small businesses struggle with timely follow up. That made being a lead gen vendor difficult. And as a result, I decided to pivot out of that into software. The first software that we sold was a CRM tech stack that would help people respond to leads. We did that for probably three or four years beside we, before we decided to pivot into workflow automation. And the workflow automation helps property managers manage the entire life cycle of a property soup to nuts from placing a tenant all the way through a renewal, all the way through a security deposit disposition. Okay. Um, well, we wanted to speak about employee engagement today. So um, how many employees are in the company? Lead Simple has about 44 employees right now. 44. All right. Okay. Well, um, I know with my company and companies, you know, you find good people. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're skill levels. But I find, and my most success is when you are able to get the employee to engage. Um, to kick things off, how would you define employee engagement? 
I look for employee engagement with our mission. Obviously, people care most about things outside of work. And so the question for me is, how do I create meaning inside of and at work? And for us, that looks like a dual combination of aiming at something difficult. We're not phoning it in. We're aiming at something difficult, which means that people are at risk. The possibility of failure is real. I need that to show up at my best. That's on the right-hand side. And on the left-hand side is our mission, which is to help people become and achieve more than they thought possible. And what's great about that mission is that it's really fragile. It's ephemeral. A lot of people hear that and they think, well, that sounds like some, you know, some corporate speak. But for us, it's real. It really is what we're aiming at. And so those, the, the tension of those two things together has created a lot of engagement. So when you speak about that mission, are you speaking about the company's mission or the mission for the employees? Because it sounds more like the employees, but uh, maybe clarify that. It, it is the company's mission and the company's mission is the advancement of the employees. Okay. Well, that's, that's really interesting to actually tie it in there. How do you feel or has it worked? I mean, do you have good employee engagement? That's what we're here to debate, right? I mean, yeah, has it worked? That's a great question. I mean, ultimately, you'd have to ask my employees, but it certainly feels like it's working. I've noticed a shift, really, I'd say within the last 12 to 24 months, the last 12 more specifically. And a lot of it is a function of my growth as an entrepreneur. You asked me about that lead gen business. When I started that business, I had no vision for employees. I didn't want any employees. If I could have had a server in the cloud kicking off cash, that would have been optimal. Now I have a team and it took me about a decade to transition from a very transactional relationship with my team where I pay them money and they do stuff to where I'm at now where my goal is really exactly what the mission is to help people become and achieve more than they thought possible. And the, the trick is, believing that that drives performance. If you just believe that's pure altruism, it's great, but I might as well be running a nonprofit. I really truly believe that that is the thing that drives performance. And I've seen that over and over again. So, I mean, what you're talking about here is leadership. 100%. Right? And, being, and being genuine means, again, you go into most corporate boardrooms, you see the mission and vision statement on the wall. Most people can't even quote it. And I, in my experience, I believe employees just think, ah, whatever, right? I'm just here. How do you, how do you be genuine? How do you lead and, and get people to believe you as a leader? That's a great question. It really, for me, it looks like connection, presencing myself, giving people the real version of me, the good, the bad, the ugly, and wanting to know what's really going on for other people. In practical terms, what I would say is it looks like being willing to have a greater proximity to the emotional surface area of what people are experiencing than is common in the workplace. That's not to say that we're running therapy sessions, but when I'm in a meeting and I sense that somebody is um, stuck, there's something that they wanna say, but they don't feel like that they can say it. I'm looking to press in at that point to provide them with the confidence that they can vocalize themselves. They're not gonna be punished for what they have to say. Um, and really that I need to hear them. I need to know what they're really thinking and feeling. I promise to reciprocate. I ask people to bring their whole selves to work. And that's what tends to bring out the best in people. But the thing is, 44 people, you're not in front of everybody all the time, right? Like, I, I don't know what your current role is in the company. I'm CEO. 
okay, so you're not exactly down in the weeds with operations. And, you know, at a company-wide meeting, whatever, like I, I get the same thing. People want to engage. They want to hear what I have to say. How do you pass that down so that your employees with their reports and who they're reporting to also feel that level of vulnerability? I mean, that's really what I believe we're talking about here. Yeah, it's really, it's the, the big question, isn't it? I can transfer it to the people that directly report to me, and then I have to rely that they will push it down to the people below them. The shift really is getting high-performing type A people to believe that connection is not just necessary, but that connection is how we unlock performance. When I can get somebody to have that insight and to see that for themselves, then it becomes much more obvious and you'll fall off the horse, but people will come back to it when they see the performance gains that come from really presencing yourself and like being all in with your team members and making, not making, actually caring, <laughs> not making them think, but just like actually caring. Yeah. And it's a belief system. You know, uh, we're an EOS shop and we try to match everybody to our visions and, you know, yes. capacity and all those types of things. And it's for me, again, I'm currently struggling with this, right? Because how do I engage with somebody, know that I'm getting the genuine um, care? And then like for me in our shop, I'm trying to create an environment where everybody's sort of their own entrepreneur because I'm an entrepreneur. I want that kind of innovation, that ingenuity. Um, and you can't get that at everybody. And I, I don't know if you've had similar successes. I have some folks that I'm really clear will be operators someday. And that inspires me. And I find it heartwarming. And I try and mentor accordingly in those situations. That's a minority of staff, for sure. Um, I think what ownership, I think you can have a deep level of ownership and innovation sans an interest to actually be an entrepreneur. And that has to do with self-expression, right? I'm painting on a canvas and what I paint, I want to uniquely reflect me. There's tension there. You want systems, processes, you want to reduce the surface area for failure. At the same time, you have to give people the ability to express themselves. If they're just a cog in a wheel, that becomes the lowest common denominator situation very quickly. Well, you mentioned transactional, right? Um, I'm a big believer in not making any business transactional relationships as well, going for the long game. How do you, how do you get out of that transactional financial compensation? I'm going to pay you more. I expect more. Um, because in my mind, it works for a little bit. And I'm speaking about like weeks. It doesn't work for a long time. I find that there's a fascination from a subset of entrepreneurs around the idea of incentive pay and I freely concede that there's some, some really interesting research and there's some value there. What I find exception with is that it presupposes that pay is the primary motivating factor for people. And I just reject that premise. If that was the case, we could increase pay and uh, decrease quality of life and, and it would kind of net out, you know, it would go sideways, but that's not really the case. Like you said, it lasts for weeks, months, but eventually it trails off. Where I've seen people... Excel is when they believe that the work that they are doing is positively impacting them, the team around them, and that they're going to be acknowledged and seen for the work that they're doing. Um, one of the things that we do is we have a Slack channel where 
we give team shout outs and we just like, we celebrate one another for what we're up to. And it's not mandated. We don't make anybody do it, but people are in there all the time. When we're in our Zoom, our weekly Zoom meeting, the chat's on fire because we're just like vibing with each other. So for me, the fun, the ethos, the vibe is something I very aggressively um, manage and invest in. Like the vibe has to be right. And if the vibe is right, organic things happen. If the vibe isn't right, you can't throw money at it to fix it. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, we're, we have a mainly like 80% remote uh, company. I'm assuming uh, that you are not walking into bricks and mortar, <laughs> if I know you correctly. It's all remote. Everybody's remote, hundred percent. Exactly. Right. So, I mean, we haven't even crossed that bridge to talk about, like we're speaking about engagement, but not engagement on a remote level. That's like, how do you even do that? Right. So I know we have a, a daily zoom meeting and we're joking around and you, it's camaraderie. That's part of the engagement, I believe too. Mm. I, you said it, something that really resonates with me before that it's a belief system. What I would add to that is it's a made up belief system. I don't have any proof that me caring about the vibe or my mission drives greater performance, nor am I really looking for proof. It's a belief system that I find really rewarding, fulfilling, that if I invest in my people, good things will happen. It makes me feel good. I anecdotally see it producing results, but a lot of it is just a made up belief system. And what I see from some um, operators is that they don't really like their employees. If I'm being honest, Garrett, I, I have all these conversations and I run into folks that do not like their employees. And the question that I have for them is, do you really think that they don't know? You know, it, it, isn't that an indulgent thought that they, that mm -hmm. they don't mm -hmm. know? Seems so unlikely to me. Yeah. yeah, so if you are transmitting that, how are they picking it up and what type of engagement are you going to get? I, I mean, you're almost dead before you start, right? I, at least the way I, I think of things, I don't know what it would be in a three to 500 person company, but again, you know, you talk about those levels, CEO, then all the way down to supervisors. Uh, I don't know. And that's what I'm trying to unpack with you today. Yeah. And that's where it starts at the top as operators, believing that there can be meaning at work. There's so much cynicism and the cynicism looks like, hey, my meaning is outside of work. I'm doing this to make money. Once I make enough money, then I can go get my real meaning outside of work. And my thought is I spend more time at work than I do with my family than doing anything else, really. Not because I'm a psycho. It's just the nature of working a, a nine to five kind of job. I better be able to get some meaning out of this. I'm bent on getting meaning out of this. And therefore... Um, if I'm going to get the meaning that I want, I need to have a lot of connection. It's one of the deepest felt needs that people have is for connection. It's just that a lot of folks operate under the idea that you, you can't get that at work. You shouldn't get that at work. You're not going to get that at work. And it's become normalized, but there is a different way. And it starts with the operator believing that your team really can't have meaning and that you can't have meaning and kind of transmitting that instead of the opposite. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we've done as a company is finding our why, Simon Sinek, obviously, right? Mm. And I have actually encouraged some employees that have come to me and said, you know what? It's property management gig. I don't know if it's for me. And I've encouraged mm. them to explore, what do you want to do? Well, I want to go into social media marketing, or I want to be in graphic design. I'm like, okay, well, how can I help you do that, right? 
And mm, they've left mm. the company on good terms because of it. Because mm-hmm. really, you know, I just interviewed a guy yesterday. He owns a, a, a pretty, you know, scaling. They're, they're going crazy right now. A property inspection company. But the guy loves everything he does. Like his energy and passion just came across. He's at four employees right now. And he has way too much work. But it's not work for him. He just loves it so much. And I remember those days. I mean, property management, (laughs) you have good days and you have bad days. But as an entrepreneur, I'd say the good outweigh the bad. But what I'm trying to unlock is how do you get that level of enjoyment out of an employee who comes to work every day? Right. And therefore, mm-hmm. like you said, they're spending more time at work with their, their coworkers than their families. You want to make it seem so that they get up and go, yeah, what's, what's on my plate today? Can't wait to get to work. I find that folks that are looking for meaning can first feel drawn to the idea that the meaning all has to be in what they do. Like for me, the meaning has to be about software or the tool that we're selling. Great software, great tool. I don't find that to be the thing that intrinsically drives meaning. I've run a bunch of different businesses. I believed in all of the products that I've pushed. The meaning for me had to do with the people that I got to be around. My customers, my team, my my team first, my customers second, investors third. And that transcends what you're selling. So if if you're wanting meaning and you're struggling to get it, the question I would ask is like, how are you showing up at work? Are you showing up at work the way that you want to show up globally in life? Or are you making some kind of caveats? Like outside of work, I show up this other way. I'm this different kind of person. But at work, I make myself small. I just kind of, I, I do the minimum necessary, etc. The reality is I carry the whole me with me regardless of, of where I am. There's no real distinction. So any moment, whether it be a full work day or just a moment at the grocery store, it can have or as little or as much meaning as you choose to impute into it. And if you're waiting for circumstances or another person to dub the moment as having meaning, it's not really going to happen. Meaning is self-generated. No, I would agree 100%. Uh, one of the things I was going to ask you are key indicators, right? Key indicators that an employee is engaged, that they're invested with their work in the company. What would you say to that? Like, what, How would you define when you see somebody that's engaged? Visibility is the first one that comes to mind. As you mentioned, we're a remote company. So when I go weeks without seeing someone, I don't see them in Slack, I don't hear from them, uh, contribution in conversations, they're ducking out of Monday calls, et cetera. That's probably the biggest one. Now, obviously there can be extenuating circumstances. There could be sickness, there could be personal stuff going on, but that's the first flag. And that's, that's something to press into is like, there's always going to be some folks that are more visible um, than other folks, but over sustained periods of time, when you have folks that choose not to engage in the community culture of the company, that's usually a tell. But when you say visible, do you mean showing up for the Zoom meeting or do you mean looking at the camera, having their camera on? I mean, what level are we talking about here? 
Yeah, that's a great question. It's one of Monday meetings. We go around and we have people share personal, professional best. And it's the difference between somebody being excited to share something meaningful versus somebody being like, oh, it's my turn. Uh, okay. Hmm, yeah. What was it? And then they come up with like two lame, irrelevant anecdotes that share nothing about them. And I don't see them um, in Slack, for example, when we're celebrating another teammate, they're not contributing, that sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. No, for us, um, one of the things that we do in every meeting, actually, uh, we have kind of a standard agenda. It's 15 minutes, but we remind people at the beginning that we're going to be randomly choosing somebody. So I want everybody to think of a win, personal or professional, that happened the day before, because we're doing this on a daily basis. Now, I'm doing this because property management is tough. It's difficult. You're dealing with a lot of negativity. And I want them to really think, okay, what did I do yesterday? personally or professionally that that I can actually say as a win. So even though they're not being called on, at least everybody's trying to think of something. Um, but you're right. You do get the odd, oh, uh, well, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, and then they just, yeah, we signed a lease for X property yesterday, right? And it's it's not the same. So I, I, I struggle with that. Yeah, it's tough. It starts with me, of course, right? It, it starts with my level of engagement. That's what I'm finding so meaning about work is that this isn't something that I can externalize and ask other people to do. It is directly correlated to my own personal involvement and the way I presence myself and the way I show up. And that I find intensely stimulating because it means that I always have to be connected. I'm not the entrepreneur that's looking to work towards a passive situation. I am uh, intending on being completely engaged in my role here. And I'm only able to do that right now because of what I'm getting out of it, not in terms of money, but in terms of connection, vitality, and life mission. Yeah. Well, we speak about connection. We speak about not wanting transactional uh, relationships. And my director of operations blew me away last year. When we're talking about money and you know how are we going to compensate people, we were having that whole performance versus money conversation. And he, he introduced me to the concept of emotional compensation, not financial compensation. Mm. Um, so what's, what's your initial reaction when I say that word to you in, in relation to your companies? Um, my, my first thought is um, nobody wants to get underpaid. So I would say the intent is to pay everybody a, an absolute market wage that's dead on with the value they're creating and to max out that side of the equation as well. So it very much feels like a both end for me. Oh, no, for sure. No, I wasn't <laughs> suggesting, hey, let's pay everybody minimum wage and give them all, uh, you know, donuts every Gift day. Gift cards and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stickers and emotional compensation. Yeah. But no, for emotional compensation is, you know, okay, I'm being paid a fair wage. So, you know, I always used to ask this question in my interviews. What's the minimum salary that you need, not want, but need to live, right? And then what do you want? Because there's two different things there. So if you're making 40, 50, $60,000 a year, that's fine. So now their needs are taken care of. So that's financial for me. But the emotional compensation now, the things that keep them at work, the things that make them wake up and want to go to work, what are those emotional compensation items that you would come up with? My experience is that frequently people are unable to articulate what exactly those things are. So I think it's a great question to ask. However, 
my deep experience is that frequently the bar is very low in this category and people are not able to fully express themselves. My experience of what people desire has been that people are looking to, to be able to be themselves, to um, feel like they can show up with who they are and there's not going to be rejection or judgment, that people are going to be rewarded and recognized when they do dope shit. And I want my team to do, to be having that experience as often as possible. Um, that when they're down, when they're struggling, that there's going to be the opportunity to share and to experience grace and compassion. And there's also going to be the ability to lift other people up and feel like that they are operating at their best, that they're being challenged. Like we identify as a sports team rather than a family. And that's really meaningful to me because the point of a sports team is to compete at the highest possible level in pursuit of winning a championship. I have three beautiful daughters. I love them. I'm not doing that with them, right? There's the, I'm not thinking about who we're going to cut, which of the kids we're going to cut at the end of the season. Um, both are great, but a very different context. And we've chosen the sports team as the metaphor that we, we identify around. Did you know that there is a big difference between investing in real estate and becoming a real estate investor? People become real estate investors all the time. They get into a flip or conversion project or even dealing with long-term tenants. And they come back to us to tell us the same thing. It's like having another full-time job. I don't know about you, but that's not what we call investing. Investing in real estate is about having your money work for you in a way that is passive, consistent, most importantly, hands-off. So which one are you? Do you want to be a real estate investor or do you want to invest in real estate? For those that are open to investing in real estate and having your money work for you, listen up. Garrett Wong has spent decades helping thousands of property owners navigate the ins and outs of property investing and management through his award-winning company, Upper Edge Property Management. Their new division, Upper Edge Capital, is currently involved in multiple projects, from single-family flips to multifamily development. Are you looking for a healthy return on your invested capital, or perhaps becoming a joint venture partner? If so, go to www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest to book a time to speak with Garrett and his team to see if there is a fit. Once again, the link is www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest. Now back to the show. Mm, that's, that's really interesting to me. Um, how many times do you hear the, I, I'm going to go out and call it a cliche. Oh, we're a family. You know, our business is, you know, we feel like a family, but you're right. So now you can go in, you can have lunch and dinner with your folks, but there really isn't a goal other than just existing and having mm -hmm. nice relationships, right? Everybody needs a goal. Otherwise, at least you want to attract the type of people that are competitive that want to win. It, they're really, they're, they're fairly incompatible. I think everybody's had the experience of having a parent that you feel like is just trying to manage you towards this specific outcome. And it's annoying. Like ostensibly they want you to be better, but it's annoying. It's like, stop managing me. Whereas on a sports team, when the coach is, you know, yelling at you saying to do a couple more reps, you can do it. Keep going. That's the point is to be under duress in pursuit of getting better, chasing something that you identify matters. If you don't think it matters, join a different team. But if you believe that that thing matters together, we're straining after something of significance.
I love that because to your example, you're going to probably feel resentment towards the parent for pushing you, but you're not going to feel resentment at least later towards a coach because you know that they're pushing you for your own good and for the good of the team. It's completely different. I love that. Yes. And what you are walking away with is skills. Of course, you're being compensated along the way. But when you have a high-end player, think of an NFL player, a high-level player, when they're done working for that team, they're taking their skills to the market and they're joining another team and being compensated accordingly. And so the skills are something that each team member gets to keep. The company doesn't get to keep the skills. The team member gets to keep the skills and capabilities. Yeah, no. Um, you know, when we speak, you were just going back a couple seconds to emotional needs and compensation. I mean, we've tried, right? Okay, here's some benefits. That's great. But again, that's kind of financial. Uh, we've been, uh, last year, we uh, started on a four-day work week, right? So everybody gets a permanent long weekend. We kind of shift around that. So instead of working an eight-hour day, they just work 10 hours, four time, four days. That's been really, really successful. I would put that in the category of emotional compensation. And now we're playing around with the unlimited PTO, unlimited paid time off. Um, not sure what box that fits in yet, though. Uh, we've had mixed reaction to it because we've had some people say, oh, great, unlimited paid time off. This is great. I can control everything. I can call my own hours. But then I've had some concern about actual work-life balance, right? So I don't know mm. which box PTO fits in. What do you, what do you think? Well, I've heard of uh, unlimited PTO. It's not something that we've done. It's an interesting concept. It, it comes up in the book, um, No Rules Rules by Reed Hoffman, one of the Netflix founders. Yeah, it's an interesting idea. I think of benefits as being the bucket where we're asking, in our case, what would need to be true in order for people to be feel supported in their mission to become and achieve more than they thought possible. So I'm asking like the benefits, uh, you can think about it in terms of like retention or recruiting. I think about it as enablement for the team in pursuit of the mission. And accordingly, benefits sh should get better over time. Um, that's been the case we're for us. We're currently in review of our benefits right now. We've identified a need and some gaps and some things we needed and wanted to improve that we're rolling out later this year. But that's kind of philosophically how I think about it. Okay. Well, let's speak about implementation of some of these strategies. I mean, if you are a CEO, a business owner, an operator that is trying to engage their employees, what's a top five list that you would recommend somebody who's listening to this podcast to go, okay, this is what I'm going to try. How, how do they implement? Ooh. Well, the first thing I would, re I would recommend is to realize that you're, the governor on your ability to do this is your own leadership. And if you have not aggressively invested in your own leadership, there's a, there's just a limit to how effective you're going to be here. So step one is get serious in investing in your leadership. And if you don't assign a lot, a lot of value to that, if you don't think uh, leadership training courses, seminars, books are worth investing in, then I would say you really got to modify your expectations for how much change you're going to be able to drive. Um, so I'd say start there, make those investments I have, and it's been profoundly impactful and I'm going to continue to do that because not only am I seeing it make a difference, but it's, it's improving my quality of life. Number two, once you've done that would be to get comfortable 
having the under the table conversations that are not currently being voiced. One way to do this, we did this at our last in-person onsite, was to open up the room to allow people to complain. Complaining is typically viewed as being bad and negative. You can flip it on its head if you package it in context with, oh, it's responsibility. What we did there, the exercise was a CCR, a complaint. Everybody go around, everybody in the room lists out complaints. You don't really need a lot of training on that, right? Everybody can reflexively do that pretty well. And then number two is contribution. What did I do that contributed to the thing I am complaining about? Step number three, what is my request? What is a specific change I would like to request of myself or others that would help remediate the complaint? That exercise created a big shift in the room when we had it. The first C, the complaint, easy. Second complaint, uh, second C, contribution, that was a lot more difficult. Folks really struggled to connect their contribution to the complaint. And the point of that, it's not a gimmick to blame people. It's giving people a sense of agency. The thing you're complaining about, whatever it is, you're involved in. Because the suppositional belief is that everything going in my life, I'm either happening to me, I'm either creating or tolerating. Now that's another made up belief. I don't have proof for that, but I find it very useful and it serves me. And I tend to select my beliefs on the basis of, of the kind of results that they produce in my life. So if you can get comfortable allowing people to verbalize the conversations that are beneath the surface, the stuff that you're not talking about right now, like you kind of know it's there, but you're afraid. You don't know how to navigate it. And if we bring that up, it's a can of worms. Who knows where it's going to go? Dredge it up. Dredge through the bottom of all the crap that you're avoiding uh, and invite people to identify their own contributions to it and then land the plane with requests for making specific actionable changes. That's a collaborative unearthing and addressing. And, and in general, I'd say that's one of the most effective things that I've found. Taking notes here, by the way, if you can see. Um, no, that's, uh, I would say in my experience, um, most employees, companies, whatever, would maybe do the CR and miss the contribution part. So you have the complaint and you have the request. But usually, at least in property management, the complaint is there's too much work. I'm overworked. I'm not happy. And the request is, can you hire more people, right? If you get the contribution component in there, maybe you then are able to, or the employee is able to analyze and not to say that they're looking at themselves, but that level of engagement now, okay, this department isn't running efficiently. We're going crazy answering phones because of whatever it might be. So I, I love that contribution component. Yeah, that's that meta, that example is great. So what what could somebody have contributed? Well, did we have a growth plan for the year? Let's say we did. Did we agree to it corporately? Was it something we had a, a discussion around? If the answer is yes, man, I've had this situation where we get together together as a leadership team, we set some goals, and then mid-year you feel the strain and the, the desire to complain can come up and it's like, well, this wasn't a top-down thing. I didn't put a gun to anybody's head and say, this is this is what we're up to. Like we agreed together, and that is a great starting point for reflection because it's not uncommon for people to agree or to commit themselves to do things that they later 
regret and question. And that's a really rich conversation. You know, that's the human condition. Why would I commit to doing things I don't actually want to do? If your leadership can bloom to the point where you can navigate people through that conversation, that is a deep level of care because that doesn't have anything to do with just work. That's happening outside of work too. I'm agreeing and committing to things I don't want to do. Personally, professionally, man, if I had the skills to like process that, think through that, improve that, wouldn't that radically improve the quality of my life? In my, in my experience, the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I go back to your metaphor of a sports team and leadership. So now we're putting these components together, sports team, leadership. I believe it comes down to goal setting because that's like, you know, you're winning the Super Bowl, you're winning the Stanley Cup, you're winning the World Cup, whatever it is, pick your, pick your championship. You know, how do you do anything in life without a goal, whether it's to get up in the morning and work and retire, whatever you want to do, right? Um, how, what, what's your view on goal setting in, in, that, uh, in that realm? My goal set, my view on goal setting is that it's an opportunity to push back against the default human tendency towards hopelessness and despair and cynicism. There really is no point to life that is not going to be self-generated. My experience is that meaning comes from being willing to um, find something that is so important to you, not because somebody else told you so, but because the pursuit of it calls out the best in you and that that pursuit and that thing is worthy enough that you're able to press through the day-to-day despair and hopelessness that's being served up on a platter and that you're able to not take the bait towards the all the all of the distractions <laughs> all the distractions that are that are a way to kind of self-medicate through the despair um, whether that's entertainment, drugs, porn, alcohol, video games. The point isn't to moralize about these things. The point is simply that it's a lot to find anything in life that is really worth aiming at. And my view is that it matters a lot less what that thing is than that you find something to commit yourself to. That's a huge gift to find anything in life that you can commit yourself towards. And it's something that everybody has to do individually. And I'm just really grateful to be a part of that for a small subset of humanity. The goals that we as leaders are setting, right? You have to try to find good people with skills. Okay. Checkbox. And then you try to, how do you get them to align with your goal or, or know that this is something, get them to realize, Hey, you know what, this property management thing, this software thing, I really identify with that. I want to help. I want to, I mean, you can't get that out of an interview necessarily. What I get out of an interview is looking for people that are competitive for its own sake. I don't know how else to put it other than the thing that I am looking for is a level of motivation that is self-generated. The, the high performers that I work with day to day If they weren't doing it here with me at this company, they'd be doing it somewhere else. It's their thing. They're just into it. Not because they told them to be so or because the enticements of this one opportunity. 
So that really does require cultivating and recruiting a certain um, mindset. And I wouldn't say that it's the average disposition for everybody in humanity. That may be somewhat more specific to what I'm up to, but I'm really looking for people that are deeply competitive just for its own sake, whether it's at work or a game of hockey afterwards, you know, whatever. Yep. Cheating at cards with your family, right? <laughs> I only say that because my wife is super competitive and my kids are always accusing her of cheating. So hopefully she's not listening to this, but um, um, no, in all seriousness, it's, it's difficult. Like you have, okay. So I know in your podcast, you have that question on entrepreneurs born or bred. When you talk about competitive nature in, in a human being, can, is that just there or can it wake up because I identify with the goal, with the goal that you as a leader are communicating to them? Ah, that's a great question. Well, I know it can be conditioned. I'm attempting to condition it right now within my own household. I see that some of it is dispositional. You know, you meet, meet the, meet the parent, meet the offspring and it matches. I do think that the mission can impact things for sure. Um, some people, you know, I just watched a documentary the other day and it was a bunch of scientists in Antarctica drilling up core samples, freezing conditions, and they were so engaged and into it. And for them, it was connection related to like climate change or something along those lines, research advancing that. Um, that's, I don't, you're, you ain't going to catch me in Antarctica drilling core samples anytime soon. Like that's not the thing that I personally feel connection to. But what I noticed watching that, what I feel is the same with my work day to day, is that the camaraderie was really deeply felt and that so much of the meeting, meaning comes from working with great people that you're having a great time with in pursuit of something difficult where you are at risk and the possibility is of failure is real. I truly believe that is the basic building block and recipe. And if you get more juice on top of that, because you're nuts about property management, nuts about software, nuts about scientific research, God bless. But the core element is that it was something difficult that you're doing with really excellent people that you care about and that care about you. Mm -hmm. And then you have to sprinkle in the ability to let them communicate, express themselves, feel safe. Right. Safety is very important because if you tell somebody to go out on a limb, you better believe that you're going to catch them when they fail. Right. And yes. only a leader, mm -hmm. a true leader is able to communicate that. Big time. Make them feel safe. If you punish people for bringing you, quote unquote, bad news, people will stop bringing you the bad news and more bad things are likely to actually happen. Right. Mm -hmm. That's that's just the basic reality, you get more of what you subsidize and God forbid you, uh, you tell people that the reward for highlighting things that aren't working is disdain or critique. You know, it's delicate. I'm not going to act like I don't, there aren't things that, that don't trigger me or set me off. And I don't see certain things happen and think like, Oh man, again, that sucks, etc. But that's on me. That's my opportunity to play that out myself and to not externalize it. Cause the reality is I want to stay as centered as possible day to day and to not have my emotional well-being follow the ups and downs of what's going on at work because you know, I mean it's a constant roller coaster. Yeah. I've uh, I think I've mentioned this before, but you know, uh, a good friend of mine had sort of mentioned 
think, you know, you have a really lousy day at work, right? And he would drive home, sit in his driveway for a couple of minutes and think, what kind of person do I want to portray when I walk through that door to my family, right? Am I going to be the property management owner that had a lousy day with owners and tenants screaming at them? And I'm going to bring that home or am I going to be the loving father and the great husband and the best friend that I was before I left for work this morning? Right. And I think, mm-hmm. yeah, that it was just very profound because you're, you have to make a choice to let it affect you and those outside of that space. So it's not easy, man. I, I can't think of the number of Friday afternoons <laughs> where something happened and I carried it into my weekend and it's a regret if, if I'm honest. Um, but it's also an opportunity for me to just let go and realize that me beating myself and getting upset is really for me. I, I'm getting something out of it, something kind of dark and perverse, but I'm getting something out of it. It's not good for the company. It doesn't solve the problems. <laughs> it's just, a, it's a way to give myself a sense of control by ruminating about the problem. What it costs me is my connection, my relationship with others. And one way that I have found helps me to connect through that, particularly when it involves other staff members, is just to go to that person and to have the conversation as soon as possible, as explicitly and as clear as possible, and to just commit to press and work through it rather than just having an imaginary conversation with that person in my head and, you know, debating them. Mm-hmm. And then things fester. Yeah. Um, we've just got a couple more minutes here, but you know, really what this podcast is about. Sure. If you're, if you're listening to the podcast and you don't have engagement at work, that, that's great. And I, I wish you all the best to try to get that. But for those business owners and leaders that are listening to this, kind of wanted to ask you, you know, throughout your journey as an entrepreneur, because anybody listening to this is, okay, that's great, but I barely have time to even make my payroll and think about other things and get whatever order that I have out. What, mm. how, do you, how do you reconcile that? Can you share maybe a pivotal moment of personal growth or maybe an aha moment as an entrepreneur? Mm. Wow. One of the biggest ones for me was being on a phone with an executive coach that had been recommended to me. And it took me a lot to get up to having the phone call. And I knew exactly what I, what I wanted to talk about. I wanted to get on and tell them that my problem was this other person. And I wanted to describe it in vivid HD detail, why this other person was my problem. And it was a you know half hour phone call. And by at the end of that call, I realized the problem wasn't them. The problem was me and it was freeing. It wasn't heavy. There wasn't any guilt around it. It was incredibly freeing because if I'm the problem, that's great because I can change. The biggest shift for me was realizing that I have agency. Everything happening in my life, I'm either creating or tolerating and adopting that point of view has given me a ton of freedom because it's affirmed my agency in every situation. When bad things happen, my goal is to say, perfect, what's opening up here? What possibility could be now? It doesn't mean that I don't have negative emotions, but it does mean that I am trying as much as possible to stop, to stop externalizing how I feel by pointing to other circumstances 
and to realize everything comes back to me. And the beauty in that is that I have agency. I can make changes. I can change my point of view. That's been the biggest shift for me, I think. Wow. All right. Well, um, one more question for you then. And I ask every guest this question. I want to hear what you have to say. So this is the Investing to Win podcast. How do you define success and what does winning look like for you? Oh, man. I define success as being where I want to be, when I want to be, with who I want to be, showing up at my best, thriving, growing, um, and playing an infinite game where there's no destination to get to, but the point is to just keep playing and to stay in the game. That's really it for me. Yeah. And there's a lot of factors that, that make that happen. <laughs> That's about 15,000 podcasts right there. Well, uh, Jordan, this has been great. Thanks for hanging out with me. It's been great going back and forth. Wanted to do this for a long time. And uh, yeah, um, I'm sure the audience is going to get a lot out of this podcast. Yeah. Hats off to you, man, doing what you love here, podcasting. I can feel that it's something that lights you up and you're leading the way, just leaning into something you have passion around. Love it. All right. Well, yeah. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Take care. Until then. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Investing to Win podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If this episode made you think of another investor, take a screenshot and share this podcast episode with them. Investing to Win is not only about helping you to win more, but WIN actually stands for Wise Investors Network. It's where we help our investors build a hands-off portfolio and have passive investments work for them. To catch the show notes for this episode and see how you can potentially partner with us, go to www.upperedgecapital.com and click on Invest With Us to learn more. Once again, the link is www.upperedgecapital.com. All links can be found in the description below. Until next time.